It is March already. I think every time this year, I think the year's a third over. How does that happen? It's already March. It's also, and it's as evidenced by the weather today, oh my goodness, it's like 72 and sunny. It is spring cleaning time. Anybody? Anybody live for spring cleaning? It's like a spiritual ritual for you. You walk away and you're like, oh, my house is holy again. <laughs> no, just me. Um, just this week, I got to declutter and finally got some time to work on my office. Some things had backed up. Although, shout out to Jake, I still am nowhere near the level of clutter in my office as our friend Jake used to have. I was here for like three months, and people walk in my office and go, this office is a lot bigger than I thought. <laughs> Sorry, Jake, if you're listening, that's how I asked, but I was told he just kept his whole world in front of him on the floor. And sometimes I do that. Mine's all on my desk, though. I have, yeah, anybody have their stacks? And you know everything you need is in that stack, but to the rest of the world, it looks like mass chaos. My, da- my desk is full of those stacks. I mean, it's like, oh, I know this form is in this stack right here. Or I know this thing that I need for Sunday is in this stack right here. But if you mess with my stacks, I'm toast. I'm lost. I have no idea. Well, this week I decluttered my desk. My wife and I spent some time decluttering the house this weekend. You know, this winter has been so mild, I never completely converted my closet. Anybody else? You know what I mean? Like I had my sweaters kind of still sitting in a box. I never fully integrated to the closet and took the short sleeve shirts down. And now it's like too late. Like, like, it'd be a lot easier to put this winter away. I just put the top back on the box and just put it away. I mean, I just never turned, I never got all that organized. But it's spring cleaning time. Well, you could argue that the Lenten season is a spiritual spring cleaning. We've talked about the fact that it is the season that you prepare your heart as we approach Easter. We talk about emptying ourselves of things. We talk about decluttering our life with things. That's what we're going to talk about today. There's like, there are three things in one of Paul's letters and some of Paul's writings where he talks about, essentially, he doesn't use the word declutter. That's my word. But he talks about letting go of or decluttering things so that we can be more filled with Christ. So that is, that is the practice of Lent. It is this idea that we can kind of get things filled up with other things that don't count or shouldn't count or not as important and they start to clutter and we can't even think straight. When my desk is organized, my sermon prep is better. You know what I mean? Like when there's when I see white surface on my desk and stuff is put away, I'm like, oh, now I can pull stuff out and write a sermon and it'll be all like that again, you know? But I have this, it's like I can't, there's like, it feels like whatever's on my desk is closing in. I think spiritually we get that way sometimes. Life gets a little difficult we're going through a hard season, and that tends to cloud our thoughts, or we just get really busy, and that clouds our thoughts, or whatever it is, and we just can't. It's like, church, yeah, maybe if I can get all this other stuff done is kind of how it feels. Can anybody relate? You know, you have to declutter your life of baseball so you can come to the 11 o'clock service, you know. Otherwise, you go to the 840 to cover that base, and those bases, I don't know. Anyway, let's, talk, let's look at one of Paul's letters. This is Philippians chapter 3. Verses 7 through 11. And Paul, to give you a little, little setting here, because I'm not going to read the whole, the whole chapter, he is writing to the church in Philippi, and he has laid out his resume for them. Now, Paul was a Pharisee before his conversion to Christ, and he's going to lay that, he lays that resume out. I am the Jew of Jews. If anybody is worthy, that's what's in this passage, I think, actually. Actually, it's right before that. He lays out this huge resume. If anybody is faithful in Christ, it's me. Anybody. 
fact, the Pharisees were famous for telling Jesus in the Gospels, yeah, I've kept all the commandments. I mean, tell Jesus that one with a straight face, you know? But the Pharisees, in their heart, in their mind, had kept all the law. And they'd walk around going, I am more spiritual than you because I keep all the rules. That was Paul before Jesus confronted him. Oh, that's why I went back to verse 4. Starting in verse 4. I don't even know what I gave the screen, so y'all just bear with me. Verse 4. Even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. That's what he's talking about, his resume. If anyone has... This is, here it comes. If anyone has a reason to be confident in the flesh, in his own ability, in his own nature, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. A member of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Not, I was so spiritual, I was persecuting Christians. If anybody could earn their way to salvation, Paul says, I was blameless. Yet, whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as a loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the sharing of His sufferings by becoming like Him in His death. If somehow I may obtain resurrection from the dead. So he says, I am the Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, in front of God's law without fault or blame. <laughs> by the way, there's a passage in later in the New Testament that says, you think you have no sin, you've sinned. So Paul, sorry buddy, you know. But he says, I am giving you my credentials. If anybody could get to heaven on their resume alone, it's me, is what Paul is saying. And then he says something, then he turns his attention. He says, I count all of that as loss in comparison to knowing Jesus. All of my resume, all of my credentials, all of my academics, all of my standing, all of my experience, all of my determination to follow God's law perfectly is pointless and without value and is actually an, is not even an asset. It's a liability when it comes to knowing Jesus. There's some great irony in preaching this sermon when I stand for ordination interview tomorrow. I'm just going to tell them that. I'm just going to quote first Philippians 3 to them and go, all that stuff I'm supposed to know for this interview, it's lost in comparison to Christ. Next. And then what are we going to talk about for an hour? <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Everything I think I'm supposed to memorize for this, I count it all as lost by comparison to Christ. The resume. Paul declutters his own resume, his own credentials, his own effort, his own obedience when it comes to his faith. He says, if anybody could get there, it's me. But I am going to take that out of the picture. Because it pales in comparison. He actually calls it rubbish, trash. There's some speculation. That's not even a polite word in the original Greek. If you know what I mean. I consider it nasty in comparison to knowing Jesus. It actually works against me. Why would that work against us? How could being a pretty good person, studying the Bible a lot, 
going to church every day, if we were to give our spiritual resume the way Paul does, I'm a pretty good Christian. You ever heard somebody say this? I go to church. I'm in Bible study. I tithe. I'm a pretty good Christian as far as God's concerned. That'd be a modern version of what Paul's doing. He says, it doesn't count for anything. Because if I am relying on that to get me there, it pales in comparison to knowing Christ. If we're going to have a faith, a genuine faith, a Christ-like faith, a valuable faith, a faith that he says at the end, so that I may obtain resurrection from the dead, then we cannot rely on our own effort to get there. Our resume doesn't stack up. I mean, I made the joke, Paul says, I'm blameless, and the scripture says, well, if you think you're blameless, you've sinned, therefore you're not blameless, so, you know, it doesn't work. <laughs> but the scriptures are very clear. We cannot meet God's standard for behavior to obtain salvation. If we could, there'd be no purpose for Jesus to die on the cross. And he says, all that stuff that I have is, not, is nothing compared to even knowing Jesus. It can work against you. Because if you've grown up in church your whole life and you've prayed your whole life and always assumed that God existed and always been faithful, you might just think you're okay. And you might be. But if you're relying on that, you're not. And so sometimes we can get very comfortable in our faith. We assume that we're doing the right stuff. We're good. We're not that bad a person. We're good. And that's placing our reliance on our credentials. So during this Lenten season, when I talk about decluttering our spiritual life, the first thing we have to get out is our reliance on ourselves. We have to let it go. We have to realize we can't get there on our own power. We can't get there under our own resume or actions. What Paul does find value in, though, is knowing Jesus. Look at 8 and 9 again. I can find my passage again real quick. Verse 8, more than that, I regard everything as a loss, as a liability because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from keeping the law or from the law, but one that comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. It's not, it's not just a loss but knowing Jesus makes it pale by comparison. Doing my thing, knowing my stuff, having my resume doesn't measure up or even come close to comparing to knowing Christ himself. Dude, having a relationship with the God of the universe makes all the rest of it kind of like, eh. <laughs> to know Christ and to know Christ crucified and to know, as he says in a later verse, the power of his resurrection... We tend, to, we tend to forget that Christianity is a source of, of power. And I don't mean like, I don't mean Jedi or something. But I mean like following Jesus, belonging to God, being in Christ. Jesus doesn't just go, good luck following me. I hope you come to faith. I hope you figure out how to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit literally empowers our path. God pursues us. The power of the resurrection in our life is the power to defeat and to remove sin. Before you knew Christ, 
You had no power in that spiritual realm. You had no ability to resist temptation. Not really. Can you be kind of a good person? Yeah. But always for the wrong reasons. And temptation is that much more powerful apart from knowing Christ. So, Jesus, so Paul says, I, knowing Christ makes everything else pointless because all I have to do is focus on that. He declutters his resume. More than that, in some respects, he declutters his spiritual beliefs. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, first five verses of 1 Corinthians. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, talking about the church in Corinth, I did not come to proclaim the mystery. I came, let me back that up. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. That is a very humbling passage for a pastor. Hey, I'm a pretty good preacher. I'm a pretty good speaker, whatever. Paul's like, dude, I wasn't even that good a preacher. I didn't come to you with the best sermon, with the trickiest illustration, with the most deep sound bite. I didn't come to you with all of those words and spiritual kung fu on the stage. I came to you with Christ crucified. Because I didn't want you to rely on the fact that Paul, just speaking for Paul here, Paul did not want us to rely on the fact that he's a good preacher. He said, don't rely on the fact that I'm the best preacher ever. In fact, I had a hard time with words. I had a hard time enunciating. I had a hard time getting my point across. I can relate to that sometimes. I had a hard time communicating. I didn't want you to rely on my ability to communicate. I wanted you to rely, I'm speaking I being Paul here. I wanted you to rely on the power of the Spirit and on the resurrection. There's that, you hear the recurring theme in Paul's message. What is the faith? Bring to the table. If we have Christ, what do we have? Power, hope, strength to follow God. Not a wise sermon in three points and like, oh, here's how to be a better Christian. We have the power of God in our life. Even the way he preaches, I knew nothing with them except Christ crucified. We tend to overcomplicate the faith. Okay, well, now you're a Christian. Now you got to do this. Now you got to do this. Now you got to make sure you take this deal and you got to pray this thing and you got to practice Lent and you got to do this. Nothing's wrong with any of those things, by the way. We tend to overcomplicate the faith. Here's this layer. Here's this requirement. I told you I'm in the ordination process, right? <laughs> For six years now. I think we've overcomplicated things. Personally, it's like, okay, I'm a Christian. Now what? I used to, when I used to work with teenagers, that was always the question, right? They profess faith on some retreat somewhere, and you go, okay, it's Monday after the retreat. Now you're a Christian. Cool, what do I do now? You ever had that thought in your faith? Like, okay, I'm a Christian. What does that even mean? How does that affect Monday through Saturday? Does that mean I don't go to work? I'm just going to sit around and love Jesus all day? I wish, right? <laughs> you know, that's not how it works either. But we tend to like pile on this system of things that we're supposed to do not from a resume building standpoint, but so that we'll feel more spiritual or so we'll feel like we've done what makes us feel close to God. 
and will overcomplicate it. And Paul says, I knew nothing when I was with you except Jesus crucified. Paul didn't have like 50 sermons. At least that's what's the implication here. He's like, Jesus died for you. You need to follow him. See you at lunch. <laughs> Anything else is a complicated layer. I should stop preaching. I've just killed my own sermon. Right? We add layers of difficulty. We add layers. Do you have commentaries? Do you read your Bible every day? Do you pray? Yes, you should do those things. I'm not saying they don't have value. But if you've ever woken up on Tuesday after a church move, a moving service on Sunday and feel like you're not a good Christian because you haven't cracked your Bible since Sunday morning, in the heart of your hearts and your conversation, do you ever have conversations with God where you're like, I must not be a very good Christian. I don't read my Bible. I must not be a very good Christian. I don't go to church enough. I must not be a very good Christian. I don't even know. I don't share my faith with anybody. If you've ever had those conversations, I had a seminary professor that used to say something like this. That is a lie from the pit of hell and it smells like smoke. I love that. It's great. In other words, this voice in your head that says, I'm not a good Christian is from the enemy. If you know Christ and you have his power, you are a child of God. There is no good enough Christian. You're either a Christian or you're not. Now, does that mean you can do whatever you want? Paul will go, are you kidding me? <laughs> right? But if you belong to Christ, you will want to do what he wants you to do. And you will want to spend time with God. You will want to go to church. You will want to pray. It won't be some, well, i got to do my spiritual checklist or I'm not a good Christian. Why would the enemy not want you to think of yourself as a good Christian? Maybe because then you won't put yourself out there as one. Have you ever considered that that thought makes you think, I can't share the gospel because I wouldn't know what to say or how to answer their questions or even know where to start. The enemy's already won because you're not presenting. He's already shaken your confidence. He's already robbed you of the power of your faith that Paul's alluding to. Trust me, if you decided to walk through downtown Starkville today and present the gospel to people, you wouldn't have to have all the right words and all the answers. You'd think God would honor you and send you with power to do that. Or to go, let's see what happens when he does this. No, of course God would honor that effort. He would want you to do it, sure. Do you have to do it to be a good Christian? Of course not. Is that a good Christian thing to do? Absolutely. Look around. We're just full of people today, aren't we? What if this room was full to standing room only because you and you and you and you and you shared your faith with one person? Not because we captured somebody who doesn't want to go to this other church down the street anymore, but because we live, rested in Christ crucified and the power of the gospel alone to live Christian in front of others, as 1 Thessalonians puts it, to live such good lives in front of those who don't know Him that they will glorify God because of you. What if we took that as serious and we lived in such a way in front of others that they went, what's different about him or her? And they asked you and you had the courage and the empowerment from the Holy Spirit to give them a straight answer. It's Jesus and Jesus crucified. You don't have to have deep theology. You don't have to understand the ontological distinction of being to share the gospel. For all you went, what's that? Don't worry about it. <laughs> you don't have to know it. 
You don't have to understand these things. All you have to do is what Paul did. When I was with you, I preached Jesus and Jesus crucified. You want to share the gospel with somebody? I'm not perfect, therefore I need a Savior. Jesus was perfect, died for me so that I could be in a relationship with God. Now I follow Him because of that. Done. Anything else, we need to declutter for a while. We need to simplify for a while. We need to stop adding requirements. You don't have to clean up to come to church. Hey, it's connection. You really don't have to clean up to come to church. I mean, there's no boundaries to coming in the building. There's no, this, you don't go to church until you're good. Then why do we even have church? You come to church because you're broken. You come to church because you know you need a Savior. You come to church because you need the Holy Spirit's power in your life to resist temptation and to resist sin and to change the direction of your life forever. Not because you already have it. If you already have it, go start your own church. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying about that. You get what I'm saying though, right? You come because you want to hear a message. You come because you want to worship as the band leads. You come to participate in the sacraments that remind us that God's grace is in our life already. No good enough Christian. No complexity. We need to declutter what we believe about what it means to be a Christian. We tend to get things backwards. We tend to think, if we do it, then Jesus will love me. And the reality is we do it because Jesus loves me. We get it backwards. I know you've probably have, if you, I don't know how you can avoid it if you're a Christian at all and on social media, how you, if you've not heard about the Asbury Revival, right? I mean, I can't get it out of my timeline, not that I'm trying to, but it's just, it's there, it's everywhere, right? But one of the things that I did notice that was said over and over and over again is that that revival at Asbury was not complex. They kept famous speakers away that offered to come, by the way. They kept famous worship leaders that offered to come. They had music, they had prayer, and they had repentance. You could argue they decluttered worship. No PowerPoint, no bells and whistles, no smoke and ladder, none of that, whatever that is. No extra stuff. Just the power of Jesus with people confessing they need him. That's where revival starts is when we go, it's not, up to, it's not on my resume. It's not on all the stuff that I do. It is Christ and Christ crucified. And he was crucified because I needed him to do that. The third thing we need to declutter our spiritual life with is the obvious one. Sin. We've talked about not relying on ourselves. We've talked about not trying to earn our way there. We've got to get rid of those ideas. The third and the most obvious is this idea of repentance, right? It's the decluttering of sin in our life. Now, if you, if you profess faith and you confess it, the Bible tells us that God is faithful to forgive your sin. It's forgiven. One of the things we struggle with the most is accepting the forgiveness. Not the reality of its existence, but how we feel. I'm speaking for myself here. I'm saying, there have been times in my life where I'm like, I'm ready to turn away from this. I'm ready to put this behind me. Forgive me. Now, I know intellectually God's forgiven me. How do I still feel about it? How much do I still carry around guilt over the fact that I did it again? You know what I mean? Like, I repented, went through a season in my life, I was doing pretty good, fell again, repented again. Oh, this time I promise I'm for real. I'm, not, I'm turning my back on this for real. And I can't seem to let go of the guilt of the fact that this is a repeat deal. 
Anybody? Just me? Right? Oh my goodness. But our Christian faith is meant to be a pattern. I didn't even mark this, so hang with me. It is meant to be a pattern of removing that sin. But it's not solely up to us to remove the sin. That's what we get wrong. This whole decluttering process is not just ours. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings to us so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us give up. Let us push aside. Let us declutter sin from our life by the power of the resurrection inside of us. And what does the writer do? By looking to Jesus as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What does that even mean? Pioneer, because he died, because he lived a holy life, died on the cross, and was raised from the dead, he instituted our faith in our life. He was the pioneer of our faith. Apart from that resurrection power, we can do nothing. Perfecter. Who does the perfecting? It's not you. It's not me. Jesus is the pioneer, the originator, the one who made it possible. But he is also the perfecter of our faith. What do I mean by that? God doesn't just go, go be holy on your own. Good luck. The Holy Spirit is active in our life. If we belong to Christ, there are passages in Scripture that say, when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray for you. That's such a relief. I have no idea what I'm going to pray this afternoon. Cool. Holy Spirit is going to intercede for you. If the Holy Spirit will pray on your behalf, is it any stretch to think